So we're all here now. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Alrighty. All right. This is book club three, and we are doing a podcast on "Take Back the Block" by Crystal Giles. So, um, one of the main things in this book is gentrification and displacement in an urban area, specifically, is what they, they look at in the storyline. So, what did you guys take away from that? I think there was I. I mean, Kaylin, we did a project on it, and we kind of took away a big theme that we saw in our own kind of communities of oil and gas and the gentrification in our own areas. And we kind of saw how this isn't just an urban problem, but a rural problem as well. Yeah. So in rural areas, we do see not necessarily as much gentrification, but definitely displacement from urban or sorry, from, <laughs> from fracking and systems like that. So they're coming out and taking these people's land like that, similar to how in cities they're coming out and, taking these buildings and turning them into other things for profit so it's again Mm -hmm. a loss of community and culture for profit yeah uh this is kind of different but it's just an experience i had um over like it was a couple weeks ago and i was it was a volleyball tournament and they built this 46 million dollar school right in the middle of a town and they were talking about because I did like this research on it and they had to buy like I don't even know how many houses right in the middle of this area which I understand it's for a school but could you imagine like having your house bought (laughs) for them to just tear it down yeah it's kind of what Wes goes through Mm -hmm. and take back the block with Kensington Oaks about to be torn down Mm mm-hmm if you look at maps of Columbus and um, our interstates and our freeways, predominantly black areas, those neighborhoods are just completely like cut in half by freeways. So they just bulldoze right through a lot of those to build our main infrastructure. So it's really interesting the way that all relates. Yeah. Another thing they talked about a lot in the book was right versus wrong indirectly a way they did. And they kind of painted a picture of how choosing between was right and wrong and it isn't necessarily black and white um and we saw that when these families were having to choose between preserving the culture and their communities and these like historic areas that mean so much to them or getting the sum of money for selling their properties and this money was things that could change their lives or their kids life you know but at the expense of losing this culture and this community for everyone yeah i definitely think we see that with the differences between Wes and um, what's his name, Brent, in the story. He's kind of like, my family needs this money so bad. And Wes just can't understand why money is so important to him until uh, Brent points out. He's like, I don't have new clothes. You have new clothes every day. Like, maybe, like, I'll get to wear something new or my family will get to have a better house. Like, there's just, it's a, there's two sides to every story. And that really puts into perspective, too, um, how much or I guess maybe how little our middle schoolers actually, like, observe what's happening around them. Like, um, oh, gosh, I forget their names already. But, you know, the one he's like, oh, well, like, my family needs that money. And the other one's like, well, why is money so important? I just think we underestimate sometimes how much kids that age observe what's happening around them and how much it affects them yeah I agree with you and we were also talking at a past discussion about how kids pick up on right and wrong and we don't always realize that as well um you know looking at Wes Henderson in the book 
do you think that he had a very mature understanding of the world around him for his age, or do you think he was just an average kid? I think it's more like a coming-to-age scenario in a story, which we've talked about in class before, where at first I think it was more like we have to save the neighborhood, kind of like the <clears throat> hero complex, like, guys, let's band together and do it. And then he has, like, just a deeper understanding. Um, like, with, with his neighbor, he's like, you know, like, why would you turn down all that money? And his neighbor says, well, you guys are all I have. Like, money's not important at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And I think Wes starts to get a better understanding of what, like, the real meaning of life is. I think, too, in middle school, um, kids are moving into the formal operational stage of development, which is where they can start to understand things they don't necessarily physically see or experience for themselves. And that's why at this age, it's really important to start teaching about like different perspectives. For example, maybe this money wouldn't for you, but for someone else, it could make all the difference. And you know, mm-hmm. right versus wrong is based on everyone's personal experiences. Um, something else that we mentioned in our talk with the author, too, was uh, mention of police violence in the novel. And she said, actually, that she had to fight with the publisher. To keep, to keep it in, you said. Sorry, yeah. you cut out there. <laughs> um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, obviously, that's a hot topic right now. Yes. Um, especially, actually, pretty recently. But I guess that kind of is a testament to... Um, what we think middle schoolers can handle? Like, was it um, pushback on the publisher's part because they thought, oh, middle schoolers, this is too heavy for them? Or was it just something that they wanted to brush under the rug? I I think it was because it was such a hot topic at the moment. I think um, George Floyd's murder had just happened at that point. And um, Crystal was even just like, I don't know if I should. She went back and forth as well. And Mm -hmm. she ultimately was like, you know, no, this is what kids are seeing in their own communities right now. This is what they're growing up around. Like, Mm -hmm. this needs to be in the story. We don't even need to go so far into it. But I do think she mentioned that she wanted to build on um, Kari's story in a later book, maybe. Sorry if I'm wrong about that, but I I think I noted that. She did. She did. I do remember that. She did want to spin that off specifically. And that uh, things like that are controversial, of course, and people should argue or not will argue that middle schoolers should be exposed to things like that. But I think that it is, as Dr. Yon said in one of our previous classes, it's not only ignorant, but it's irresponsible to pretend like kids don't see this stuff happening in the world anyway. So they're experiencing it and they're taking it in and they're forming on it. And those may be fueled by perceptions or understanding so it is important to address them anyways because they're doing it on their own whether or not you're guiding them through it yeah yeah and And the best place to talk about those things is at school where you're around like-minded people your own age who you can share your feelings about a touchy subject like that i had a teacher that if we would come across something inappropriate in a book we were reading, she would like scrap, make us scratch it out so we didn't read it or she might not even let us read the book at all. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's not really fair. You know, we should be aware of the world around us. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, there are exceptions of kids growing up too quick and having a better understanding of this, but most kids are all growing up and they're all the same age and they're taking this in all at the same time. Like, 
what better place to talk about it than surrounded by your peers with an adult who can like guide you as Dr. Yon says, as the leading learner in the classroom. And I know we do school is a good place to do it because you have a lot of like-minded people, but it's just as valuable to do it at school because there's so many people with different experiences. Like few times in your life besides school, are you going to be surrounded by so many people with so many different stories to tell and life experiences and perspectives. So it's really good to talk about these kinds of issues then because part of being like a socially responsible citizen is understanding other people's perspectives and being able to respect those. And honestly, that's that's a good point. Where else? Some kids are only getting one perspective of something at home fed to them, regardless of what they're seeing and happening in the world and on social media. But where else are they going to hear a different perspective if the teacher is not the one that opens up the classroom for that conversation. And I think it's a safe space to do it too, because there's someone there to monitor, you know, what gets said. And I don't know, I'm just, I've written about that a couple of times where I think that we need to open up our classroom to these kinds of conversations. Yeah. And I think it's like our, just our social responsibility in that aspect. Like, kids are taking this in at home, that one perspective, but we also have to think about the communities they're growing up in as a whole. There's a a lot of the times, even in school communities, there's one agenda being pushed and it takes one person to put their foot in the door and say like, this isn't right. (laughs) Like, you know, like, I mean, I mean, you don't have to push the other side of the agenda. Like that's absolutely not true, but showing the other side of it and giving equal spotlight to both sides of a story. Yep. I think that too, um, something we talked about in one of my classes a few years ago was a big part of being a good teacher is recognizing your biases and then actively working against them. And that's partially so important for things like this, because if you want to reach all learners, you can't be like, you know, incredibly biased towards one thing. Cause if a kid comes to you with one viewpoint, you don't agree with, you can't be like, well, I don't want to help you on this topic. Because I agree with you. So yeah, with things like this too, it's especially important to put biases aside. Yeah. And I touching on that, I think it's also important if we're going to bring literature that has hard topics into our classrooms, like personal development, like, you know, we need to be having these little seminars that kind of brief the school on what we're bringing into the climate and what we're going to be introducing students to so everybody is, you know, on the same page and can collaborate together and kind of spread an awareness. I think that talking about these kinds of things, too, can also help with a growth mindset. And we have talked about how important a growth mindset is. And I feel like all of our classes, like, able to, you know, push forward really important. And part of that is being able to, like, change your opinion on things and being able to say you're wrong about something. So discussions like this about things that are happening in, in the world, it's good to encourage information and setting the example and change your mind you know? I think oftentimes schools are a little hesitant to talk about touchy subjects at school because they want to leave it up to the families to discuss things with kids but oftentimes kids have families where they don't feel comfortable talking about subjects you know that are a little more controversial with their parents and would you rather have a student or a child learn something through social media or in a appropriate class setting I think most people would agree that a class setting with a teacher present and with other people your age would be the best place to talk about something controversial. I agree. Yeah. One of my biggest fears with teaching though, is that like, I know, I know this 
topic, but I'm so afraid of getting one of those emails from a parent that's like, this should not be talked about in school, you know? Leave this to the parents. What yeah. happened to normal education? And yeah. I really feel like that happens in, like, um, smaller town areas where there's, like, this group mindset of one thing, and then there's the person that, you know, tries to make a change, and obviously you get a lot of pushback, but... I'm afraid of that too. Yes. I think we just have to kind of rally around like our co-teachers and get administration to back us off to have that anatomy. You know what I'm trying to say. In the classroom, (laughs) just like to have that freedom to be like, this is what I'm going to bring in. I'm going to do it responsibly in a way that doesn't show a bias. And I'm just going to let students, you know, learn what they want from this story. Yeah. People say a lot of times, like, you should not be talking about political in classrooms, but a lot of what goes on in our society, like, day-to-day lives, and even, like, education itself, kind of by nature, is political. Like, I oh, mean, of course, politicized are politicized, so it's it's hard to leave it out of education. And how can you teach a social studies classroom, you know, one day if you're going into that content area and not talk about you know daily politics like true i remember <laughs> ap uh u.s history government i don't remember what exactly what it was called but something we had to learn about was like the different beliefs and values of each party you had to be able to different differentiate between the two but now like talking about the values of each party would be considered like an issue you know oh yeah absolutely you don't have to necessarily like anytime that one side gets brought up it's like that you're bashing the other side and i I don't know how we're going to change that, but (laughs) it needs to happen somehow. Hopefully it's just a phase that we're going through and we'll phase out of it. I was fortunate because I had a teacher who she would let us talk about issues of the day as a class and have a very open, casual conversation about it. And she said what uh, compelled her to allow her students to do that is when she was a young student and 9-11 happened, the teacher wouldn't allow them to talk about what had happened on September 11th, uh, like the day before what had happened and wouldn't allow them to watch any videos and news coverage of it. And uh, she was super upset about that and thought, you know, that was the best place to learn about it and talk about it. So she made a commitment to herself that she would always be open about current topical issues with her students. So I was fortunate to have a teacher that, um, conducted her classroom the way I think we all plan on doing so someday yeah I think, a very oh I'm sorry Kaylin no you're fine I was just gonna say I think that part of our mission is always we say we want kids like to have these lifelong skills like we're trying to prepare <clears throat> to operate out in the world what good are we doing by hiding them yeah them? and like going off what Darren said like bringing the real world world into your classroom I remember there was I can't remember the exact name of it right now but not Columbine, but a school shooting that happened when we were in middle school. And I remember every teacher had the news on that morning and, or maybe it was in the afternoon and everybody was just so terrified. And I mean, for weeks after that, we just talked and talked and talked about it till like, I think everybody could work through their emotions. Sandy Hook, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, My freshman year. Yeah. I remember that very well. Me too. Um, this novel is uh it's a great way to show 
students that their voices matter. So this book does a great job of showing that you can be young and an activist. You can be 12 years old. And you- yes, um, I think we had this discussion the other day in um, Dr. Yon's class, but and I think it goes hand in hand with teaching our students that just because they're young doesn't mean that they don't have a voice and that they can't have an opinion. It, we were talking on it about it in terms of like being a first year teacher and a young teacher like you should still have a voice and still voice your opinion but I think it's important that if our students see us doing that then they'll be more likely to do that as well. I agree with that and another point she touched on yesterday was when she was like a first year teacher she had so many veteran teachers like getting upset with her for breaking the norms and trying to think outside of the box and bring new um concepts and ideas into the classroom and I think as educators going into our profession we need to have that mindset like a growth mindset of you know I'm not gonna back down and you know things have to change absolutely um something I liked when we talked with the author was that can work with books like this in your school you can show students that they can be activists in ways as small as advocating for more research. Something that she said, walked back to a thousand. You don't think of it like that. Even reading this book, they are still doing like a big grandiose thing. They're trying to save this community, this whole neighborhood. Um, they're trying to help their family, but it doesn't have to be like that. You can't be like, well, you want us to change the homework policy? Advocate for it. Use your voice, which I think. Um, Absolutely. And she, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No. No, I was just going to say my uh, the middle school I coach volleyball at right now is going through um, something where they're being really harsh on the girls with the dress code. And I told them, I said, write up, make yourself a little PowerPoint and go to the freaking board meeting. I said, it's not going to just be. And they were like, well, they're not going to listen to us. And I'm like, yes, they will. Like, if you go and you advocate for yourselves, they will be more likely to listen than if they're just getting the story from the principal or whatever. But they do have valid reasons to be upset. But I told them to advocate <laughs> for themselves. Oh, yeah, definitely. And like, I was thinking off what you guys said, like, just having like, what she said in our interview with her um, was that kids are going to be reading in this at an age where one day they're ready to just take on a whole war by themselves and the next day they're going to be kind of cowering behind you they're in that fragile mindset but building them a foundation to where they can keep working up instead of taking a hundred steps back every time they get knocked down like just building that foundation can be key and something I thought of was when I was in I'd say like high school I want to say we weren't allowed to have you know nose piercings you couldn't have colored hair no flip-flops um it was kind of no tank tops and now looking at my high school like you know they advocated against that and enough people said this oh I'm sorry this shouldn't be distracting anybody from their education like that's on them that's not on me So we had a very similar thing at my high school. Now that I'm thinking back, I think it would be cool to reflect on our own advocacy as students. Um, my high school was like a newer built engineering high school. It was the new Reynoldsburg campus and one wall in each classroom, the one connected to the hallway was all glass. So we had to have a very specific dress code because they told us 
observation school. We have companies like Battelle that are like, you know, investing in technology for the school so they they get to walk around, go on tours and stuff. So you guys have to look we weren't allowed to wear jeans. Um, we weren't allowed to wear any colored pants. They had to be like blue, black, khaki. You know, we had to wear shirts with collars, things like that. Um, when we were younger, we even had to wear belts, uh, but they took that away, like shirts tucked in with belts. And then kids did advocate against that, and now they do have a much more relaxed dress code. But I think an even better example was when I was a sophomore, I believe, my teachers went on strike. Um, and so they couldn't control us without the teachers or the substitutes and so they started like delivering lunch to our classrooms and everything and we were just doing online school this was before you know the age of online learning so we were sitting in one room we had scheduled bathroom breaks they were delivering food and this lasted for over a month and um we started standing out on the picket lines with our teachers because we really we can't learn like this like this isn't right. yeah that was my first or my best memory of student advocacy do either or of that that's a great example. And you said, like, because you did that, like, there were changes that were brought in place because of that? Uh, yes. So they took away our scheduled bathroom breaks. And, of course, we couldn't bring our teachers back from strike. They had to work out their contract to do with us. But um, we did get, you know, some better systems in place. We were allowed to go to the cafeteria, probably because attendance was at, like, 10%. No. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness. Awesome. Well, it's a good example awesome. that, yeah. you know, goes along with students and children taking a stand against something. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. <laughs> so as all this is happening in the book, um, they do have a few storylines that remind us that these characters are still trying to keep up with their middle school project about during this but they're also trying to save their community so I think that this serves as a really great reminder for us that students have really complex and demanding something that we should consider in our classroom so how do you think you guys would go about considering this yeah and I never even thought about that till you said it Kaylin but I think just you know we've talked about this in some of our classes it can be as simple as you know we never know what's going on at home like not giving as much homework or you know not expecting as much out of them in their home setting and you know, expecting their full attention when they walk into your classroom and setting those boundaries with them and giving them, like, clear guidelines. I agree. I think that um, the further I get into this degree, the more I am anti-homework. Not necessarily across the board, but I think that kids just have such unequal access to things at home like they may have to care for a family member at home they may not have internet access they may have a lot of responsibilities they may just have other stressors it's unfair for them to be us ask them to be present in the building on day all day and then us to ask them to continue to their education at home we don't want to agree that time off so why do we not allow the same for them yep and a lot Mm -hmm. of teachers you know i've seen complain about parents messaging them on their time off and you know we don't like it you know what I mean when we get bothered at home about things that can wait till tomorrow so why can we why should we expect that out of students right even beyond leisure time like some of these kids just have things going on like this for example um and I think another thing that this reminds me of is accepting late work I know there were so many schools I mean I think at least before that have policies that you couldn't accept late work point and I understand like the end of the grading period but I think part of running an equitable classroom is being understanding of things like that it's not fair to say everyone has to have 
the same thing done in the same time frame and there's no exceptions no matter what's going on in your life mm-hmm. oh, yeah and I think policies have changed big time with COVID I know like even in our university like I don't think I would have been able to get through this semester had my professors not been so caring and you know like just like feeling for us and understanding what we're going through and I think we've been very raw and honest with our professors too and just said like you know we're at our end and they understand because they are as well. And I think too, there's times where they grant you that extension and if they wouldn't have, it's so discouraging to fall behind like that. When you feel like you're trying that those Mm -hmm. are the kind of leads you to just give up entirely, you know, like I'm already this far behind. Why bother? So just that leniency and knowing the care, like, okay, they they're rooting for me. They want me to get this done. I'm going to keep working, not just on that assignment, but on other things as well. And of course, if we feel that we know our students are feeling that. Yes, I agree with all of that. Couldn't have said it better. (laughs) All right. How can we use this as a springboard, this text, as a springboard for encouraging our students to recognize uh, issues in their own community? Well, I think like assignment wise, Kaylin, you had a great idea to come up with um, writing letters to the mayor and giving them a scenario like, this historic house is going to be turned down and turned into a gymnasium or a shopping complex or something like just giving them a scenario in their head that, that they can relate with and, or that's happened in the past. You know what I mean? Like giving them a little history lesson on their town and saying like, was this right? Was this wrong? Can you write about it? Just, yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, One thing I'm doing for Dr. Yon's class right now, uh, because we have a this book and we have a writing for change assignment so i'm having them write newspaper articles and conduct interviews with members of the community so that's a way to do it yeah and then the last thing that stuck out to me was how this book emphasizes how much culture can be tied to a place or a community and it's interesting because it is the case, you can't deny that culture is tied to places a lot of the time, but then these underprivileged groups through history get pushed out of their homes. So then they're, they're losing their culture. Do you guys see that theme a little bit in this as well? Oh yeah, big time. And like I've shared before, because I grew up in the environment in the neighborhood, I, I did, I, I had never even heard of gentrification before. <laughs> I mean, that is a completely new term to me that I had no knowledge of. I, I mean, I know what it is now, and I am able to see where I've observed different situations where it's happened, like around me, but certainly not in the neighborhood or the community I've grown up in. So that's my culture. That's my cultural background. So I think depending on what type of environment and what type of culture you come from, you're more aware of different issues like this. Absolutely. Something interesting we talked about. I don't remember where, what class, or if I read it earlier this semester, but um, I heard somewhere that when places like this are getting gentrified, let's say you have someone that lives in a rent-controlled property and they can stay there, even though the neighborhood around them is changing, they might not be able to afford to be a living member of that community. Like they couldn't go to the coffee shop that replaced their neighbor's house and buy something. And beyond that, even though they're still living in that same place, the community is gone. Yeah. They may choose to leave anyways. Mm-hmm. Another thing I thought of getting off a little bit, but um, like a lot of us didn't really understand gentrification going into this book, you know, 
there our students are going to be like you know ages like 10 through 14 like imagine what they can do with that knowledge at such a young age that you know we didn't get to use absolutely and i think yeah because i think like darren said earlier he had never even this concept before and that's a reason that it's so important to pick text that represents so many different experiences. Um, One thing I've come to understand this semester, I used to think that running an equitable classroom was making sure students could see themselves in their education, they had a connection to their education. But now I understand that more than that, you also need to make sure you're exposing them to other experiences and helping them connect their own to more diverse perspectives, because that's what makes a truly, you know, passionate social citizen is those Mm -hmm. understandings. Absolutely. I couldn't have said that better. (laughs) All right. Any closing thoughts from you all? Uh, Everybody needs to read Take Back the Block. It's a very good book. (laughs) I put it on, um, I forget what class it was for, but we had to make that library. Was that the other class, Kaylin? This was on my Every Classroom Needs to Read Take Back the Block. Absolutely. All right. Thank you guys for chatting with us today. Once again, we were talking about Black the Block by Crystal Giles. Um, That's all. Bye. Bye.